welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. What is up, everyone? Knock On Podcast 190 Awesome. Awesome. You Hello, know who John that Humphrey. is. Yes. What's going on, buddy? Dude, has it been a crazy, crazy... Epic. Epic. Yeah. Yeah. Just an unreal week. Um, I know everyone was wanting updates from Alberta and updates from Montana, but honestly, I've just been in the zone of hanging with friends and enjoying the disconnect. I know people get bummed out sometimes when I'm not like engaged socially. Yeah, they get mad. Yeah, they're like, what's up, dude? What happened today? Um, yeah, well, you go, man? my mind got clear. That's what happened. This uh, sound is weird. It's like cutting in and out on me here. It might just be your, is yeah, it just the ear? That's it. It could just be one Let's of these that. guys. Check, check, check. There we go. That's better. And bring the mic a little closer oh, to your mouth. There it is. It's yeah, just a something's little. Something's going on with this. This cord is uh, funky. Funky Cole Medina. Yeah. Hello. There we go. Whatever. You we'll good? deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. As long as it's getting through. It's getting through. Well, you should start. What do you? <laughs> where do we start? You should start. It was awesome. You know, first of all, it was great having everybody in camp. Uh, Barklow, Jonathan Hart, and you and me, and Chris Pratt was in town, and we we hunted with Star Lord. I know. Is that? Yeah, it was awesome. Did archery lessons. We we shot bows. Um, th- well, we weren't really all back at camp during the day, hardly at all. No. We've put on some miles. We averaged 11? Uh, 11 or 12 a day. 31, th- I saved it one day because it was so ridiculous. It was uh, 31,000 steps. And, yeah, here it is. 31,099 steps, 12 miles, and 116 floors <laughs> at, <laughs> at 8,000 feet of elevation, 8,192 feet of elevation. So That's pretty awesome. It was awesome. It was incredible exercise, too, because you're just sweating and exhausted, and you're eating everything that moves and doesn't move <laughs> in front of your face when you get back to the lodge. Yeah, you when work I'd, for it out here. When I'd hear you crinkling into those power bites, <laughs> I just <laughs> look back like there better be two of those oh, dude, I, brought, I knew i knew i brought boxes of those things i knew everybody was going to want those on it power bites so we're in utah and you know coming from coming from two hunts that were partially diy i would say sub diy hunts uh for me um coming here the effort i put forth during the day and the mileage and stuff that we cut co- that we carried um was comparable except the opportunity was just totally different you know i yeah. you know i can't make out like this was a a hunt where i searched for days to find elk we were in elk every day it's just what was toughest about this hunt was it was good because the management program is so high it's like someone coming to iowa and me saying you can only shoot a six and a half year old whitetail you know something that's almost halfway through its life you know we we're under pretty strict guidelines of, you know, we want everyone here shooting a seven and a half or older bull. Yeah. And we're less than half of us have filled tags, you know, 
It's hard. You see a lot of elk, but you also see a lot of elk that are five years old, four years old. Yeah, um, my elk was around nine years old, apparently. That's what uh, Colton said when he took the ivories out and checked his teeth were all worn down. And, you know, and my elk was a bruiser. I mean, he had holes all over him. Bruised up. Big hole in up. his face. His eyeball was yeah. <laughs> gouged out. Yeah, Some right, gave an eye right underneath his eyeball was a giant hole from an antler. And uh, he had, you know, antler holes all over his body, his butt. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, st- well, we had we were in several bulls that morning, but we were behind them, and that's like the worst place to be if you're an elk hunter is behind elk because even with my daddy long legs, <laughs> 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 it's not keeping up with four daddy long legs. No, they they move so well. It's incredible to see them run up a mountain like it's flat. Yeah, like they it's just nothing. Yeah. And you guys were stalking into a bull. I was trying to call from behind you to try to draw it, and you know you guys pretty much cut the distance in half and draw him. I was trying to draw him past you to get to me. And it they weren't really responding to, like the bigger bulls weren't charging into calls. And I've heard that in multiple states this year, people saying the elk just aren't like committing and the rut isn't just, like I never saw an elk breed an elk here this week. It's Not like it's week. late. It's like it's a little later than normal. Yeah, maybe. Um, we Did saw you it last see? year. Last year I saw it, well, the first time I've ever seen it. It's, it was hilarious. This uh, giant bull smashed this cow from behind and sent her sprawling like a takedown. <laughs> <laughs> it was really like he shot a power double on it. Yeah. I mean, I, and he's a one-pump chump too. Yeah. Boom, and yeah. then it's over. Yep. thank you. On, yeah. on to the next uh, one of my 40. We saw uh, Colton and I one day where there was – a hundred elk in one field. It was incredible. Just we, we couldn't find anything most of the day. We saw like a couple of small bulls and then we glassed this meadow maybe like half mile, mile out, and it was there was a hundred elk in this one meadow. I'm like, what? It was like a big old elk party. Yeah, it's like I've I've been the same. I've been in um canyons where you don't hear anything and then you literally go around a corner and you're like, What is going on? It's like it's like if someone had a big house party in your house and you're out in the garage not knowing what's going on. Yeah. Then, you, then you open that door going in. You're like, what the? <laughs> That's what it was like. And when you got in those situations, the hardest part was navigating all those cows and the satellite bulls without blowing that whole herd out to the next you know, next ridge or next yeah. mountaintop. Well, um, another thing that's interesting is uh, how many people are using silverbacks now for hunting. Um, you know, Shane Dorian shot his bull here last yeah. week with a sh- silverback. I shot mine with a silverback. Barklow? Th- yeah, Barklow shot his. With s- I think so many people are recognizing now all these things that you've been saying about how to execute proper archery shots, not punching a trigger. Yep. You know, you, you, your, your teaching is spreading so far through the hunting community. It's really amazing. It's well, amazing to watch. Well, we there's some people here from, um, I don't even know where he's from, but he came up to me while I was cleaning uh, dishes downstairs and said, you know, I, I, I'm recognizing I got target panic and I really need to do something about it. Where do I, where do I start with a, like with a silverback? And I just told him, I said, honestly, the best thing you can do is try to mentally wipe your slate clean and go. I've got a video that I did with Tyler Stark. He had never shot a bow, and I literally started him with here's a bow here's a silver you know silverback and a string 
talk to him about how to work the silverback, talk to him about the process, walked him through what I teach everybody. And then I think it was three days later I had him on that hog hunt. This was a couple years ago. I don't know if you remember. And then yeah. he shot his first hog. Went from never shooting a bow to learn shooting with a string for a day, learning to pull a bow back and just shoot a bow up close for a day, then learning to aim at a target up close. And once I was watching progress, by that third day I said, you're executing good enough right now. If we can get you a 20-yard shot, I'm comfortable with you doing it. And he went out and smoked a hog at 20 yards with, with a silverback. better technique than people that have been hunting for years that have been finger punching. Yeah, it's a, I mean, I know I have a lot of things where I was taught wrong or, or self-taught, and I didn't realize I was wasting time and efficiency and energy because I never knew the other way. Mm -hmm. I always, I say that a lot about weightlifting. Yes. There was... I mean, all of us just went in and did the bigger, faster, stronger thing in high school where, you know, the coaches would just be like bench, squat, you know, right. and, and there was no technique taught. There was no form taught. It was just, you know, everyone's just in there trying to move as much as they can and not really being efficient, being sloppy with it. And then once I learned technique and the purpose of weightlifting is learning to control the weight and building strength by controlling the weight, it it became easier and I became, well, I became healthier at it. I had way less injuries too. Well, me coming from a martial arts background, um, technique is everything. I mean, it's everything. You, you cannot become a proficient martial artist without learning correct technique. You can get by in some forms of martial arts with power and speed and weird technique, especially in striking. In jiu-jitsu, it's almost impossible. Mm. You, you, you have to have correct technique, otherwise you, you're just going to lose. And it's, it's also just an inefficient way to learn something. And in archery, so many people are learning inefficient. I've watched so many people punch the trigger. I've watched so many people practice and so many people practice incorrectly. It's fascinating to me. And until your teaching, I think so many people have been just uninformed or misinformed or learning from people that learn themselves the wrong yeah. way. It's just a it's it's just progressively handed down the line of, you know, well, I just do it like this. Oh, yeah. okay, well let me try it. yeah, let me borrow your old bow and we talked after Lanai, and I said, I think I'm just going to go straight silverback. Because before, I was using um, a thumb trigger, and I was doing it right with learning how to pull through the shot from you and learning how to just keep my, my thumb on the trigger and pull through the shot. But I felt like that was one extra thing that I had to think about that I shouldn't have to think about. Yep. And I was like, if I can just learn how to master the, the silverback and don't ever think about my thumb not punching a trigger because it's not even an option yeah i felt like i have 10 percent more resources of my brain to concentrate <laughs> because you know yeah. there's the thing like i'd be at full draw and i'd be like don't punch it don't punch it pull 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 and then but that thumb is like i know i can just squeeze right now and that shot's going off that 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 uh the the reticle, the, the, the fiber optic is on the target. I see the pin. It's right there. If I just hit that sucker right now, it's going to go. And that thing is in your head, man, and it's, it's so hard to shake. And so many people are effective, you know, if they're really good and they've been doing it a long time, they've killed a lot of things that way, and they've been hunting that way for a long time, and they're proficient enough where they could pull it off. But it's like 
it's the same thing as martial arts. If you learn bad technique and you get really good at bad technique, if you train with someone who is really good at good technique, you just get mauled. Yeah. And it's so annoying. You're like, I can't believe how easy that guy tapped me. Mm. Like, this is so disturbing. I've seen people that have trained their whole lives in a poor system of martial arts, and then they will roll with someone who's like a John Donaher trained or a Henzo Gracie trained guy who's only been doing it for three years, and they get smoked, and they can't believe it, and they're so frustrated. There's a situation that's going on right now in jiu-jitsu where uh, this guy John Donaher, who's a real genius, um, is... Uh, He's developed a leg lock system, a really, really technique-based, scientific, scientifically analyzed leg lock system that's dominating a lot of jiu-jitsu tournaments. And he's got these young Is he guys. The one from Ireland or? No, he's from New Zealand. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And he's got these guys that are, um, you know, I mean, they've been training hard for years, but in comparison to some of the people that have been tapping, they're tapping these world-class competitors and making them look like they just – they're completely outclassed. And it's it's incredible to watch world champions get mauled by people that have been doing jiu-jitsu for five years. But it's because they're doing it the right way. And they're learning all the this, this system from step one to the final step by from a genius, from a yeah. guy who really understands it. And I think the same thing is going on in archery. And I think what you're doing by, uh, by all your instructional videos and all your podcasts and going over all these things, I see it, all these different people that are talking about your techniques and talking about learning how to shoot with a tension-based release or learning how to shoot with a too smooth, learning how to shoot with uh, a hinge, but learning yeah. how to, to shoot with something where you get a complete surprise shot. And that is just so giant. It, it's, it's so giant for me. It was giant for me on, on my shot of my elk. It was giant for me uh, in Lanai, just learning that system and learning how to do it correctly. And to see it spread, it's really cool. I remember the first time it clicked for you. We were at your house, and we were uh, we were shooting that block target. Remember, we were like 10 feet away from it. Mm -hmm. We stacked it up on that, on that rock thing right by the gate. And it was the first time where I was just talking in the side of your ear as you did it. And then when it went off, you were like, oh. Yeah. Even though you were slowly squeezing the trigger and stuff, like I still think part of your brain knows exactly how much pressure it really takes on a trigger mm -hmm. to make it fire. But for that one, you know, and I see it all the time when, when it goes off as a surprise and then people just see, even though they didn't feel like they had any control, the arrow goes in the middle and they're just like, whoa okay yeah yeah that's a whole different feeling than i've ever you know even searched for as an archer and that's what separates honestly the people here that um were successful with like shots and recovery um you know because there were some people that weren't um and those people came up and said like hey how you know what do i need to start doing to to kind of get rid of this and it get rid know. of the target panic. Yeah. yeah. And it's, this is where it rears its head. And it's honestly, it's the worst possible place for it to have. Like I would rather someone have target panic every single day in their backyard. But then when they come out to a hunting situation, it just goes away for one shot. Like that mm -hmm. would be the ideal thing. Cause then honestly, I'd just watch people shoot any which way they wanted to and think well it's not going to matter when it when they're on you know a really important hunt or you know obviously you're don't want something wounded running around either 
but like you know Barklow um well I was thinking last night me you so in seven eight days I've packed eight or five elk wow and uh Barklow shot one with a silverback in Montana on like the last minutes of shooting light um with a silverback and it was a very honestly it was a very high pace like intense situation we were we had covered miles calling and nothing was talking and then all of a sudden we literally said um all right i'm gonna i said i'm gonna make one more call in this canyon and then we better head back to camp because i mean it was almost dark and we had you know an hour back to get down there and we had to i had a flight first thing in the morning so I literally made a call and I took my bugle and I kind of slid it to the side and I took my diaphragm out of my mouth and put it in my little holder and literally looked up and here's a bull just slithering through the timber just coming in quiet and I just reached back and grabbed Barklow and I'm pointing like bull right there and the bull came into 10 yards and it was looking at us think you know it was look it it knew it was something but I just feel like this pattern is working so good that it was just looking through us and its head was kind of bobbing around like, you know, I know I saw something. I know I heard something. What is it? And then he actually tried drawing. It kind of saw him and started walking. I gra grabbed a mouth call again, started calling again, and it turned and looked. And I said, I think you're going to have a shot. And, you know, he had gone – he'd been hunting since late August on a couple hunts and he was telling me I'm frustrated because I haven't had any opportunities. So I know he was pumped for that. And the bull finally comes out and he's like, I don't know how far it is. And I was, you know, telling him like, you know, 35, 35. And, uh, all of a sudden I, you know, I could see out of the corner of my eye, I saw the bow raise up and draw back. And then that bull turned broadside to, um, to kind of look over his shoulder and, I could see his pin or his stabilizer kind of floating around. I could see that he wasn't like rushing it. I could see it like holding, holding, holding all of a sudden and he, you know, just punched a tripan right through that thing. And all he shoots is silverbacks. I mean, that's all he shoots. And, you know, just like, well, Shane had target panic. He told us a year ago, he's like, I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm definitely target panic starting to get the best of me. I want to make changes. And, um, I would just work with them a little bit through texts and through some photos and talk to them about, you know, pr the one thing with silverbacks is I always like people to start having to pull a little bit harder than what they want. And then as I watch them progressively do execute correctly, then I start backing it down a little bit. So they're not moving in the front end as much to make the release go off there's a fine line there and especially like in situations like yours um and just to recap joe was stalking an elk um with colton and i actually backed up i was trying to call i i, I pretended like i was leaving as a cow i was going away from you guys to try to just make the bull follow me and then he wasn't i you know we knew he was up by his bedding area and i got up on a high ridge and i looked and luckily i found him standing under you know under this i don't know what would it be a big spruce tree or something and he uh was groaning a little bit and then all of a sudden i saw him bed down so i snuck down to you guys and i said okay he's bedded come on up and i'll show you where where he's at 
and we went all the way down that mountain through that little valley up the next mountain got the wind in our favor and kind of stalked in we knew a general area but stalked in blind and all of a sudden boom there he is at 100 yards and then you were I told you this was a 10 out of 10 if from a stalking point of view I was so happy to see how much you've progressed you know and I'm sure Lanai's helped that but you're you literally got a tree between you and his eye you stalked in every step was calculated and you literally got to the point where you couldn't go any further and there he was bedded at like 35 yards a giant bull bedded with his entire herd underneath him and we were right there and then the pattern is incredible that's one thing that really helped this Sitka subalpine pattern is amazing i mean there was many times where we were just straight busted where cows were looking straight at us and we just froze and they looked at us <laughs> for like five minutes and went oh, i must be tripping yep. and they just gave up yep. they just they could i mean i've never had a pattern where i felt this much confidence I mean, uh, I've hunted with this step before in Lanai, and it's it's hard to tell in Lanai because I think those animals are just on another level. Yeah. They're so switched on, and they're hunted 365 days a year. There's so much pressure there, and there's so many of them, and they're so fast, and they're so hyper. Um, they would see anything, and they would just bolt. They would, Wee! and they would just bolt and take off out of here. But in this, in elk country, you know, I had the gloves on, face mask, hat, Full, you know, full Sitka camoed out, and uh, I just felt incredible confidence with this. So that helped my stock. I knew that if I just froze, that I could just stay frozen for five minutes, and they would eventually just, they didn't know what I was. Mm -hmm. They would give up face paint on, you know, and sometimes I had a face mask, and uh, I just felt like that helped me a ton. I think Lanai helped a ton. But I, I really like stalking too, man. There's something. Oh yeah. Something that's cool about it. That's the that's the nuts and bolts of a hunter. Mm. Like when you're, it's just like anything, right? Cats, or you, I sometimes my dog. It'll just see another dog, like you know, half a block away, and it'll just get down, and all its legs are twitching, and it's just like I want to stalk. Yeah. And I think that's just like that's just the primal instinct of being a hunter is stalking and well you know what i realized in. one thing that i realized is that it's so intense that there's no room for any other thinking you're not thinking about anything else while you're making that stalk i wasn't thinking about oh i gotta take care of this at home oh i gotta <laughs> get this done and oh this is coming up but i gotta call this guy and email that there was none of that you there was can't none of that. yeah i was thinking it's like okay one more step one more step Slow, slow. And if you make that, if you get that foot planted and there's mm -hmm. no snapping or cracking and he didn't look, you're like, oh. There we go. Yeah. Neck. Okay, where's my next one go? Yeah. I mean, it, it took me, how long do you think it took me? 30 minutes. 30 minutes yeah. to, to close like 60 yards. 60 to 35 was about yeah. 30 minutes. Yeah. And it was slow-ass 30 minutes. <laughs> it was just slow-ass creeping. But then when I got to 35 yards away from him, I'm like, this is, uh, I felt like this is the perfect spot. Yeah. Like, I was thinking about trying to g get over one more log, which would have got me inside a third, just to get a bigger window of a shooting lane. Yeah. But I was like, I'm just going to take it from right here. Yep. The only thing you did that I, and I gave you this feedback, you have, whenever you're stalking an animal, 
you have to be aware that its peripheral vision, mm. you know, comes back a little bit further than a human's. Colton was ta- telling me that too. So, you know, when his head was slightly turned and I could see the back edge of his eye, I knew that that was borderline whether or not you were going to be seen. And luckily his ear was just blocking it enough. But the one thing you would do is when you'd look down and kind of decide where to put your foot, you would like keep your head down and watch that whole movement to the ground all the way. And then you would look up and check the elk. Then you'd look back down and make that. And I told you, you have to look at, look at the elk, make sure you're clear or the animal, make sure you're clear to move, look to where you need to make the move, check the animal again, start the movement, get it there. But as you're making that movement, you have to have your eye on them because when people get busted is when all of a sudden they decide to, you know, reach back and itch themselves and all of a sudden they just see this thing moving and your head's down. I don't know how many times I've seen it happen to people because they're not watching the animal's eyes. And that's the one thing I'm locked on their eyes unless I have to make a very methodical step, you know, in snappy branches or something like that. I should have taken my boots off. If I took my boots off, I think it would have been even quieter. Oh, you would have for sure. Yeah, but I decided to try to do it with the boots on for whatever reason. They it like worked awesome. It. Well, yeah. there was more wind. There was a lot of wind. And there's yeah. still leaves on the trees. Yeah. So that, you know, just that little mm-hmm. flickering of the aspens helped immensely. I mean, I was at 44, so I was 10 yards behind you. Colton was in between you and I. I was trying to stay where I could film. And... So, I mean, there's three people that were inside of 44 yards. Creeping. Creeping, yeah. Super creeping. And then you issued a tripan. He was laid down. It's hard to explain. So, he was facing away bedded, and he was literally, le- like, leaning back against a log that was on the ground. He was, like, using his, like, a almost like a, a body-length back support. Yeah. So he was like kind of leaning back. His legs were downhill, and he was just a couple times. He looked like he was going to go to sleep. Like mm-hmm. see, his, he kind of got a little tired. And then he woke himself up and looked around, like, you know, what's going on? And luckily, his cows got up midday to just feed around, and he was watching what they were doing, and it let you just move in perfectly. And you had to literally your arrow needed to go over that log that was about five yards away from him, and then arc right in to where you could you know go below the spine but not low enough to where you hit the ground first and um i would say you were a little higher than you know if i were if we took a picture of it and i said right here is where i'd want to hit you were you know maybe three inches high of that i think i was worried about hitting that log yeah subconsciously yeah your subconscious is like i'm aiming a little bit higher than you, what you're wanting me to. You know, one of the things that I learned from you that really is counterintuitive is to set your center your bubble, uh, put your pin where you want it, and then concentrate on pulling but looking at the spot you want to hit and not concentrating really on the pin. Mm-hmm. That's so counterintuitive. It's so hard to wrap your head around, but it's so weird when it works. Like when I was out there practicing yesterday, I was out there uh, at 40 yards practicing, and there was a couple times where I just nailed it, where I just stared like a laser beam <laughs> to the center of the target, and I just pulled, and that arrow went thunk, and then I shot another one. It went thunk right next to it. I was like, this is crazy. 
there's some weird process that happens with archery where when you get everything ready, right? You got your bubble, the the the, the bubbles in level, you know, you got your pin, right? The center housing is in the peep site, everything's perfect, and then you just concentrate on the pulling and looking at that target. And when that does happen and that arrow goes there, it feels like magic. It feels creepy. Yeah, that's well that's like the zen part of archery, right? Yeah. I always feel that way with you know, you look at things like golf or baseball they don't have an aiming device but i've kn i've seen people where they're like at baseball practice and they're just grabbing a ball throwing it up and just crap like almost looking at the person they want to hit and then just hitting the ball and they're like you know popping flyers yeah. up to people in outfield right and you're just like this dude's just lit it's not like he's got a, a an aiming device they're just they're doing it that much to where their subconscious is like controlling that movement enough to know where it wants to go. Same thing with a golf ball. I mean, honestly, it's kind of weird to think you, you have a golf ball and from 200 yards away, you can put a, you know, a two inch ball into a coffee cup. Yeah. I mean, and there's people that do it like a hole in one, right? I mean, that's crazy. It's not like they're sitting there with a hooter shooter shooting machine and a golf club and they're trying to aim it in. I mean, it's a, person with the mechanics of a swinging motion and a club and a little ball and they literally nail it well you know where i learned that from is pool exactly yeah. yeah when when i'm playing really well when i'm playing pool really well i i'm just i my mechanics are in line and i'm just concentrating on the the part of that ball that i want to hit and i just know everything else I know where it's all going. My mm. brain understands the feedback. My eyes are looking at the exact spot, and I've done it so many times. I can hit that when I'm on. I can hit that ball, pocket the ball, and I can move that cue ball within a few inches of where I need it to be. When you think about the, the you have this smooth cloth table on slate, pulled tight. You have these slick balls that are polished, and you're literally putting the exact amount of force to control the rotations of the cue ball after it collides with an object ball with spin. Yeah. So I've got spin on the ball. So it's all this subconscious stuff that's going on. And the same thing is with archery. And But like pool, archery requires massive amounts of practice. And mm -hmm. when I, you know, one of the great things about having this studio that I have now is that I practice every day. I get there before the podcast, I'm shooting arrows. The guest comes, I do the podcast. After the podcast is over, I do my ads, shoot arrows. Yep. And, uh, so I'm shooting arrows every day. And then when I'm not at the podcast studio, I have a range at home, and I'm shooting arrows every day. So I'm, 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 there's a feeling, and there's, especially with the silverback, when I'm doing it right, it's I feel that thing in the middle of my back is just like that muscle is what I'm really concentrating on in the middle of my back and then plank and when it goes to the center when it hits the center of that target whether it's at 65 yards or what, whatever it is that I'm shooting when it does land in there it feels like magic yeah I call it um and it's probably most relative to pool I call it stroke yes it's I mean thing. when I have I, you know, and I've posted that. I say, you know, I found my stroke today. Sometimes, even though I've done it as long as I have, am I, I would say, am I better than average if I just go out and I shoot? Yes. 
But for me to really feel like I have this stroke, this effortless stroke, where I'm just looking at what what I want and everything's just happening, where I'm not having to force things to happen or I'm not trying to fight things to come back, it's literally just like a rhythm. It's just, you know, it's almost like a cadence, a count, and it's just nothing is a struggle with it. It's yeah. not hard. It's just it's just moving. It's like in a flow state. Um, not necessarily a performance flow state, but I just I call it my stroke. And with pool, when I was – you and I played, I was determined to beat you one game. Didn't <laughs> happen. <laughs> I was <laughs> – we played forever. But I started saying, well, how do you do that? Because, some, like you said, you know, you're literally creating these spins on one ball, knowing what it's going to do when it hits another ball. And then you have all of the maths of what each ball is going to do when it hits a bumper. So, you know, you, you spelled it out and you're like, okay, look at this, and all I want you to do is just stare at that and do a stroke like this. And I did it, and all of a sudden, you know, here I've got this cut with this spin, and you're like, because ideally you want the cue ball to land over here, right, because here's your next shot. So you're like, here's what you're going to do. And a few times I did it, and I just see this ball manipulate around the table, bounce off this rail, this rail, this rail, and then all of a sudden I'm perfectly set up for the next shot, and it's like, Holy cow, that is crazy. And I was really only thinking about that one thing and not the whole yeah. the whole mathematical equation on the table of where you know everything involved. You were just like, okay, here's what you want to do. Simplify it. This is where you have to hit the cue ball. And you're just staring at that one spot and then everything happened. Yeah, you, you get a spot on the cue ball where you want to hit. And then once I know that, then all I'm thinking about is the object ball. I'm thinking about the object ball, but my subconscious knows that I'm going to hit it with draw, with right-hand English. So it's going to hit that. It's going to squirt back, bounce off that rail, and come perfectly for the next shot. But it's also repetition. It's, it's, there's a muscle memory that happens. And that muscle memory, your, your subconscious understands that the data is in place. Like you have all the information, you know how to do this. You've done it so many times. Like, oh, I've seen this shot before, or I've seen a similar shot. I know how to execute yeah. this. And that's the same thing with archery. There's, there's a, a thing that happens where your subconscious just realizes like, okay, this is this is where this arrow is going to go. I know I know how to do this now. You know, l elbow up high, you know, back straight, foot position's perfect. Just pull with the middle of the back. Plop. Steer it. Yeah, steer a hole through the watch center. Watch that thing because I haven't been doing archery nearly as long as I've been doing pool. Like when I make a good shot in pool, it feels satisfying. But I know I know how to do it. It's like sort of like with you with archery. For me, archery is so recent that uh, when that arrow goes flying, like when I hit that rubber elk at 65 yards and it goes right into that bozo nose, so I thunk <laughs> with the first shot. I'm like, that is magic. Yeah. It's amazing. It's a hole-in-one. How good was uh, the food? Amazing. Chad Ward is a wizard. He is. Whiskey Bent Barbecue on Instagram. He, yeah, he came out. What did – I forget what Chad made. Chad made – He made um, tomahawks. Oh yeah, and yeah. He made tri-tip. Yep, and oh. then yeah, and then some charred charred corn and some smoked spinach salad, and, and then Brussels sprouts too. And then the next day, I got my bull. Yes. And then the games began. Chad Ooh. had to leave after a day, so. And Traeger hooked everything up too, so they brought some big ass Traeger grills here, and mm -hmm. Chad's 
gigantic mobile like like a rig which <laughs> cool is behind a car was incredible because he had one side for searing and then the other side he was cooking at 225 degrees oh yeah. my god i mean uh, traeger is they're so smart with what they've done with the outdoor industry and so smart what they've done with hunting where they've concentrated on like it, they've dominated it with amazing grills that are the best at maintaining temperature like i've had a bunch of different pellet grills before and i've loved them all they're all good the traeger timberline that i have is by far the best it's the best in terms of ease of use in terms of versatility the app the fact that you can control everything with the traeger app the app has recipes on it which is amazing and the fact that it's so it's so simple and easy to use and with a guy like Chad and with you and these other people that are like really concentrating on cooking wild game this it's opened up this whole new area for people that they realize like wow you can make incredible delicious food with with a Traeger with wild game and learn how to do it correct like a friend of ours that we were talking to that really doesn't know how to cook wild game who's a hunter and he was telling us about oh I just kind of throw the back straps on the grill and I found it to be kind of tough and we we're like whoa 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 like what are you doing like how are you doing it <laughs> yeah just turn the heat up full turn blast my propane on put it oh, on high Jesus. so I can get it done like no 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 <laughs> yeah you got to do it right that's and one step away from a microwave really it just you make it boot leather, you know? <laughs> and especially with something like wild game, it's so much more delicate because you could take a big-ass beef steak ribeye, and as long as you don't cook it for too long, it's going to come out fine because it's got so much fat. The marbling in it. Yeah, it's, it'll protect the meat somewhat and keep it moist. But even then, it won't be as good as like what Chad cooked. When he cooked those tomahawks, he cooked them low and slow, and then he seared them on the outside after it was done. Then after we cut it open when we were eating, we're like, this is insane. Yeah, so let it good. rest. Let it rest. And then I did um I did three things. I did I did a full elk tomahawk, which was I literally tomahawked the entire side. We had full length ones. It the ribs barely fit in the the biggest grill. We could have cut those ribs down a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it felt like Fred Flintstone. Well, it was hanging off the, my plate so much the dogs are trying to steal the bone. <laughs> like you're not even going to use that, bro. And I'm like, "No, no, it's attached to the meat. Get out of here, dog." <laughs> and then uh the big hit was my elk neck. Ooh. That was incredible. Yeah, people I, I've been loving all the worst cuts that have a lot of that fascia tissue and stuff. And uh, I just started searing it on the front end, which is different than what you want to do on a steak. Um, so I sear it with grass-fed butter. I, s I season it really well. Prime rib rub and Traeger rub are my favorites. And then that Saskatchewan, the black Saskatchewan rub. Um, and then I put in a couple cups of bone broth and put a lid on a cast iron pot. I seal it up with aluminum foil as well so there's no steam escape. And then put it on the grill at about 220, 225. And depending on the size of the meat, like that full elk neck, I think took we did for about 16 to 17 hours. And you did the first, you actually did the first uh, test for tenderness. It was insane. You it literally just falling just, apart. Yeah, just falling apart. And then we, uh, we seared some, we did you get one? Oh no! Jonathan Hart Jonathan just Hart walked in just and told us he killed a tree. Or well, wounded a congratulations! Tree. Hope it was a good shot. <laughs> um, 
And we seared some peppers and seared um, some garlic cloves, put it in that shredded, uh, the shredded elk neck, and then just let it simmer in that pot. We that was my favorite, honestly. I think all the things I ate this weekend, mm. that was my favorite. You're, you said you're going to do that for sure. Oh, 100%. I can't wait to try it. <laughs> I mean, we, we could, took those uh, elk, ro- the neck roasts off of the elk that I shot, and uh, I I'm, I'm can't wait to try that. Yeah, that's going to be awesome. Well, we got a jet, dude. Yeah, we gotta um, hit the road. And I'll, uh, we've been talking about doing a podcast with you pretty soon. So yeah, let's some do point, another one. We'll I do. I'll call in and we'll have some time. Yeah, we'll do another one. And I'll, uh, I know sometime here I'll probably fly out and see you anyway. Yeah, for sure. So definitely. we'll do. We'll uh, shoot archery and you can kick my ass in pool. <laughs> it's been really fun, man. <laughs> Thanks for everything. Heck yeah, man. That was super fun. See you, everybody. We gotta catch a plane. We're out. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. knockonarchery.com